All right, my friends, welcome to uh, what we're calling our end-of-the-year episode of V8 Radio. I'm Kevin Oste, joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Mike Cuball-Clark. And it's going to be... It is going to be a super califragilistic expialidocious episode wow. of V8 Radio, Kevin. Wow, wow, wow. Well, that's that's hard to wrap my mind around. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry I had to do it. <laughs> you don't want it mildly califragilistic expialidocious. It's super califragilistic. Super. Yeah. You think there's totally. kids out there that don't know what that means? I mean, I don't know what oh. it means, but know where it's from. Uh, I know what it's from. I know, but do you think uh, there's people out there that do? Oh, yes, there are people who don't know what it's from. <laughs> and I find that quite atrocious. <laughs> See and, what and, I did there? And, and alidocious, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I knew a guy named alidocious in college. Right. All right, well, you know, as we record this, it um, it's cold. Yeah, the Midwest is uh, is in the deep freeze. It, it hit us, so uh, I'm coming to you from the... Uh, what was the uh, the second V8 TV editing studio, aka guest bedroom of the house? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that studio. Yeah, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thankfully it's been a guest bedroom now again for the past uh, nearly half decade. But uh, there was a time when this was where all of the quote unquote magic happened. <laughs> Dig it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we we're doing humble beginnings. Now we're doing it again. Right on, yeah. Yeah, we're full circle. That's it, man. Circle I of like life. Mm-hmm. So typically on this show, we uh, um, we like to start things off with a trivia question so that uh, you know it adds a little bit of a carrot to our listeners to entice them to listen all the way through, albeit not a very satisfying <laughs> carrot generally. <laughs> <laughs> it's an old, soft carrot. Yeah, you know, but we try. It's a little something. Uh-huh. Uh, have you uh, prepared a trivia question this time? I have prepared the mother of all trivia questions for you, Kevin, because you just seem to know everything. I had to up my game. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, uh, go for it, man. All right. Here we go. In 1969, our friends at AMC and Hearst teamed up to build a, uh, a car for NHRA Superstock. This is a three-parter. Oh, man. What was the name of that car? What ET did it run? And how many were produced? No, you suck out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So was there a street equivalent? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this was a super stock car. It 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 was available through the dealer chain. All right. All right. Uh, In 69. 69. Okay. It was an AMX. Oh, so you give was, me that. I'll part. give you that. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I'm going to do you one even better because I'm feeling very charitable here at the end. Of the <laughs> yeah, very nice of you. Because I'm only going to blank look on my to get, face to call this a victory. We're going to give require two out of three. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to guess if it was an AMX in '69, uh, uh, trimmed for super stock, it probably had. Did it have the 390 in it? You going to give me that much? Or was it a 401? Uh, I, I don't know what it had in it. I don't. Oh, come on. You can't ask me that, that question. <laughs> I just, uh, just the name of the name of the car, the ET, and how many produced. <sighs> All right. Well, I'm going to say 1340 on the ET for an AMX with an unknown engine. 
kind of a shot in the dark. Sorry uh, about that. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, and uh, and they made. Oh, man, I'm sunk. I will come straight out and say I have no idea. So I'm going to take a guess and say they made a hundred of them, and it was the AMX. I don't know. So the two out of three I'm going for is ET and production. You sure you don't want to throw a third out there just uh, just for cushion? Uh, well, before you said AMX, I was actually going to guess that it was the machine, which was the uh-huh. the, the the rebel. But right, you 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 pointed me down AMX land, which uh, unfortunately yeah. I'm not that well versed in. I know a little bit more about the SST cars and the Trans Am cars, but mm-hmm. not so much the super stock AMXs. So the AMX, I, I don't even know. AMX excess is my guess. Excess? Y- yes. XS. Okay. AMX. Okay. So 1340, 100 produced, AMX SS. XS. XS. Yes. Yes. Okay. And that's a wild. Okay. Ass. Yeah, that's, yes. a, that's an out there question. Yeah, <laughs> that, that is a a wag, as they say in the engineering yeah. world. <laughs> oh yeah. So sorry about that. Yeah, thank you for uh, ending my year in a high note. <laughs> All right, Mister Fabulous, I will throw this All one right. at you. Um, and I can break this into parts now that you did that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> See, this is his game, folks. He makes me go first, so then he can tailor his deal no. to really hit me harder. But that's okay. I can't hit that's that okay. one really harder. This this one's kind of a softball. I think you've seen this car in person, so uh, one of these examples. Uh, in 1970, you could get from your Chrysler Corporation uh, an option called the Mod Top, as you know, which you've seen, yeah. as I referenced. Uh, Mod Tops were uh, a floral pattern vinyl top option on certain Dodge and Chrysler cars. And interestingly enough, they were targeted uh, towards the female car buyer back when right. back when they did that kind of thing. How many Hemi Kudas were built with the mod top option? And I, I feel this is an interesting question because the Hemi Cuda was not targeted towards female buyers, even though we all right. know just about everybody loves them. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. How many Hemi Cuda mod tops? Yep. Um, In yeah, I did see 1970. There was there was that one at the McCacken show, correct? I believe yes. There's and and there's been lots of different mod top cars at the McCacken show. Right. Uh, even the Chevrolet version, there was a Camaro there with the top, which was not called a mod That's top. That's right. But uh, right. it was a catchy thing, but very unpopular. Same concept, yeah. Okay, okay, Mr. Big Time. I'm going to say 1970 Hemi mm. Cuda mm-hmm. mod top. Mm-hmm. There was a total of... Mm-hmm. One produced. One? One Mod Top Hemikuda. Wow. Going, <clears throat> writing that down. One. 
I mean, it was unpopular, I don't think, but, but one. I don't think you're going to throw a zero at me again. <laughs> <laughs> zero is a number. <laughs> I have not forgotten that. <laughs> I can tell. And nor will I. No, Mr. That's okay. Three-part okay. AMX question, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. All right, one's yeah, your final one. answer then, huh? All right, all right. One is my final answer. Noted. Okay. Okay. We'll see. Indeed. So, um, been a lot going on, and, and as you uh, uh, coined the, uh, the the word of the episode of supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, um, I was actually kind of thinking of a, a, a theme for this episode which I am going to call uh, social distortion. <laughs> I like it. Yes. And and the reason why is because I think, you know, obviously there's the band social distortion, but there seems right. to be quite a bit of uh, distortion in social media topics when people are uh, discussing cars and projects and stuff and anything, you know, just because it's on Facebook doesn't mean it's right. Uh, but recently there's been a lot of people who have been uh, – uh, asking questions in groups, which I think is fantastic. And I, I'm a member as you are of a many, many different Facebook right. groups. And sometimes I find that it's uh, uh, kind of challenging to type out a long answer on Facebook to help somebody out. So we thought, Hey, let's just uh, read and address a few of these here on the show and we can chat about them. And then maybe our friends that uh, ask these questions on the group, we can answer their questions through this medium instead of having to type it all. So it's kind of sure. us being lazy. <laughs> I, I prefer to think of it as innovative, Kevin. There you go. So we're going to innovate today a bit. Uh, and, and I'm going to throw the uh, the first one out there, which um, came from the, um, let's see, it came from the Buick GS group. And I have a, uh, a name of the individual. His name is Alan Faircloth. Uh, in the Buick GS owners group on Facebook. If you're in that group, you can look it up. But it's not necessarily a Buick question. It's kind of a, a muscle car question. Uh, this gentleman asked, has anybody done any recent research or installed an EFI unit on a 455 uh, Buick engine? I want to know the pros and cons of the different offerings and um, want to know a little bit of information about what the systems entail. And I think there's there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of interest in fuel injection conversions where you don't have to change the whole engine and intake manifold and all the rest of it. Right. It's, it's, that has been a great addition to the aftermarket, the bolt-on fuel injection. Been fantastic. Been a real game changer. Well, yeah. Uh, but I think we've learned in our shop a few tips, if you will, of, of things to consider that maybe a lot of people don't consider when it comes okay. time to, to doing these systems. And the systems are getting more and more uh, user-friendly and they're putting more in the box, I should say. Um, mm -hmm. And in particular, uh, I, I'm not here trying to pitch any particular system, just more of the theory behind them. Um, although, you know, in our shop, we retail basically all the different systems and we've installed almost all of them as well. So we've got some experience with everything. Uh, but I'm going to use uh, a couple examples of the throttle body style, which means you can take the carburetor off and throw this thing on in its place. And uh, mm -hmm. there's some good examples. The, the Fitech system is really cool. The Holly Sniper system is really good. The Fast right. Easy 2.0 uh, 
EFI system's a good one. Uh, Edelbrock's got one. Uh, Mega Squirt's got one. There, there's a bunch yeah. of them out there. And um, so what, you know, the kind of the advertisements and the videos are like, yeah, so in a half an hour, you can unbolt your carburetor and throw this thing on. <laughs> it's not quite that easy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so as I... I it were, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, as I address these uh, these points that, that Alan, you know, answered, I'll, maybe I'll throw it to you. And do you have any specific questions about those? Well, I, I've done a, a, a fair bit of research and read a lot about these these types of fuel injection systems. And while they are pretty user friendly, it's not a simple slap it on and go to town kind of a deal. I mean, you have to think about uh, your fuel pump. Uh, if if it's uh, obviously your carburetor fuel pump is not going to put enough pressure out to power a fuel injection system, be it port fuel injection or throttle body, you, you'd need at least what fifty to sixty pounds of pressure typically. Um, a, a lot of people, s- some people you know swear by the in tank pump, others uh, like the inline pump. Mm-hmm. Um, there's pros and cons to both of those. Well, also, so, some of those systems have what's called like a uh, Fitech. I know, especially has a system called the Command Center, which is its own little remote fuel sump that your mechanical fuel pump will fill. And there's a, a pump, uh, a, a fuel injection pump inside that sump that powers the um, that feeds the the throttle body system. So, Pros and cons of that as well. So I'm going <clears> to <throat> pause you right there because that that's one of the big ones is the, the fuel management of these systems. Right. And you're right. They require higher pressure. And um, it used to be <clears throat> that you could put an inline fuel pump on a, on a frame rail and it would pull fuel out of the stock tank and send it forward and pressurize the, the fuel injectors up in the front. We've learned to stay away from fuel rail I mean, from frame rail external pumps mm-hmm. and it's funny because i have the one paradox on my 62 ford uh it's been fuel injected since 1999 or 2000 with a rail a pump on the frame rail and it's been fine really? <laughs> it's the the wow. only one i know of that has not had a problem is my own car <laughs> uh and, and that part was a bosch ford van factory pump so it wasn't okay. like a universal standalone. And I don't know if that matters sure. or not. But the problem is uh, the fuel pump gets hot. And uh, when it gets hot, they fail. They start to make noise. Mm-hmm. They grind. And the intake pumps are great because they're submerged in the fuel, which keeps them cool. Mm-hmm. One thing to consider there is that some of these systems are uh, fuel return systems, which means they pump fuel to the fuel injectors and whatever doesn't get used gets sent back to the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the fuel return is sending hot fuel right back to the pump area and the cooling isn't very good. I see. So okay. the pump placement is also important inside the tank if you're going to do an in-tank pump. So right. an easy way these sure. days, uh, the company Tanks Inc. has come out with a whole line of, of original appearing fuel tanks that have... Uh, provisions for a high pressure pump built into them and they also have a baffle of some sort to uh, keep that hot fuel away from the pump and also keep the fuel from sloshing around and starving the pump out because uh, that's when they start to burn out they get hot if they got nothing to pump so um, we've done a bunch of those and they work really well 
Uh, they also have some fittings on the top where the pump module is that you can fairly easily connect either a, uh, a hose barb and you got to use high pressure rubber hose coming out of the tank right. onto the frame rail. Um, or if you're going to run, some people are compelled to do a whole new fuel line front to back with, uh, you know, stainless or mild steel. There's another option um, that people don't consider very often, and it's a flexible fuel line. And I'm not talking about a braided hose. I'm talking mm-hmm. about a, I believe it's a form of nylon, and you literally push barbed fittings on either end and uncoil it, and you really? can send the fuel front to back. And it's used on factory applications. Uh, the OEs huh. use this flexible style hose everywhere. Um, they don't do full runs front to back on cars, uh, but they'll do you know shorter sections, and it's cheap and easy. And as another testimonial, that same stuff has been on my Galaxy since 2000, and it's been fine. So, oh, right on. Yeah, uh, if you're not good at bending lines, uh, or if you, you know, don't want to get into that part of a big project of having to remake all the fuel lines, that's a quick and easy right. way to go. Huh. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, right. It makes it it makes it so you could do that install in a weekend, like they a lot of times advertise. Uh, so that that's the first concern is yeah, getting the fuel from back to front. Um, another thing that we've learned is that um, you know one of the benefits of these systems is uh, uh, definitely the drivability and ease of starting, uh, cold starting, because like you know many of us with these old cars. It's not our daily driver, and it's going right. to sit for a period of time between between drives. Uh, and what we found recently is, you know, I get a lot of flack. We, we've done some fuel injection conversions and posted videos on YouTube and aired them on our TV show where people have been like, you just don't know how to use a choke, and you're an idiot because it's not hard to <laughs> use a choke. And um, But there's something different going on with today's fuels uh, I'm sure you've heard of, you know, how today's fuels are more corrosive, you know, sure. to, to rubber parts, but yeah. there's, there's something else. And it's that if you look up the boiling point of today's fuels, it gives you a boiling point range between 100 and 400 degrees, uh, Fahrenheit. Wow. Quite and, a range. And that's what it says. The, the boiling point uh-huh. <laughs> is, <laughs> is between here and there. And wow. it's because there's different uh, uh, chemicals and solvents in, in gasoline. Mm-hmm. And the carburetor guys are, you, are, are experiencing a phenomenon where you go in your garage, you start the car, you set the choke, uh, it starts up, it, it runs on high idle and everything's fine. It warms up, you drive to you know the donut shop or whatever, you get out, get a cup of coffee, you come back out, start the car, and it has a hard starting condition. Mm-hmm. And the confusion comes in because it's no longer cold. So it's not like it's a choke problem. Right. And what we're finding out is some of the more volatile aspects of the gasoline are evaporating off, leaving less volatile fuel in the bowls, and it's hard to start. Sure. And these fuel injection kits, they take care of that. Absolutely. Yeah. These closed systems, it's under pressure, the boiling point automatically becomes higher because of all the pressure it's under and it's not open to the elements it's not open to evaporate out of a carburetor vent or any of that so yep makes sense you know it kind of it pulls in fresh fuel under pressure right away that is you know all accounted for if you will and then shoots it in so 
So that's kind of a, a lesser publicized benefit of these systems. Um, mm. And then when you, you know, getting back to our, our installation tips, uh, using these things though, it's a little different from a modern car because you get in your daily driver car that was built in the past 10 years, you can open the door, sit in the driver's seat, turn the key and it'll start. No problem. And mm-hmm. I think you and I have talked about this in the past where on, on the retrofit fuel injection systems, you got to wait for that right. system pressure to build. Sure. So uh, therefore, <laughs> we, we tell people, turn the key on, let the pump run, put your seatbelt on to occupy the time, and then <laughs> hit start and it'll light off. Um, so between those little aspects uh, – in some of these EFI systems that we're talking about, they've been consolidating all the parts. So like, for example, the FiTech and the Holly, the ECM is now part of the throttle body unit itself. So there is no longer an external box. That's nice. It is nice. It, mm-hmm. it speeds up the install time uh, so that you don't have to worry about running more wires to a, an ECM. Mm-hmm. Uh, you still do have to plug in uh, an oxygen sensor cut a hole in the right. in the exhaust pipe. Um, there are some systems now that have a piercing clamp. Yeah, I've seen those. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah the Phytech has that. Um, I, I don't know if it's called a piercing a piercing clamp, but it's a it's a bung that you don't have that's clamped on the exhaust pipe rather than having to weld it into the exhaust pipe. Right, which makes yeah. it nice if you don't have a welder or you don't have access to be able yeah. to get all the way under the car with one. Right. So that's a cool thing. Um, and, uh, you know, many of them use the, the handheld style uh, tuner to be able to start the car and, and they self-tune. Um, mm-hmm. The self-tuning thing, there's a couple misconceptions there. None of these systems will self-tune an idle on a cold start. Oh, really? Right. Well, the reason for it is uh, once you start the car and get it warmed up, the oxygen sensors need heat to operate. Uh, they don't operate cold. Right. So uh. once the oxygen sensor warms up, it goes into what's called closed loop mode. Mm-hmm. Closed loop means there's a, an information loop that goes from the oxygen sensor back to the ECM, which makes an adjustment. And then the exhaust gas goes out the pipe the oxygen sensor sniffs it and sends another feedback to the ECM. Right. That's your loop has been closed. When the car's cold, the oxygen sensor isn't working yet. So the ECM does not get any information about what's in the exhaust. And that's called open loop. Right. When you start a car, it's an open loop. So the, the self-tuning function is only available in closed loop mode. Uh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Right. So... Yeah. A lot of people are complaining that, you know, I put this system on and they say you just start the car and drive it and it tunes itself. But then tomorrow I went out and I tried to start it and it cranked a long time or the idle wasn't right. Well, Uh all these systems have provisions for manual enrichment of startup sequences if you need to add a little fuel or lean it out to make the car start better because it's not going to do that part on its own. Um, Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the rest of the driving experience, once the thing warms up, it's constantly uh, revising its tune and, and smoothing out lean spots mm-hmm. and rich spots. Uh, and in many cases, as much as you allow it to, some some of these systems allow you to turn off certain ranges once they get dialed in pretty well. Or 
Uh, if you have a really radical camshaft with a lot of overlap, that can tend to throw off the uh, manifold air pressure sensor, the MAP sensor, uh, sure. because you might have a, an exhaust pulse coming backwards up the intake runner with a large overlap cam. Oh, sure. Okay. And then that MAP yeah, sensor yeah, yeah, gets yeah. confused because it's like, hey, you know, what's going on? <clears throat> right. And I think Ford got around that uh, in in the 80s on the on the, the Mustangs by putting the MAP sensor on the firewall. And it would sense atmospheric pressure and not necessarily the manifold pressure. Um, oh. Yeah. Hmm. It's kind of an interesting way to do it. They had a little hose that went down to the, to the manifold as well, but it would kind of compare the two. Uh, and it wasn't as affected so much by those kind of reversion pulses. I gotcha. Yeah, um, that's pretty cool. But yeah, some people have complained about that with really, you know, wild, long overlap camshafts that uh, um, are throwing the tune off. And and when it throws the tune off, what it does is the computer's constantly trying to rewrite that same little spot, and it never gets it right. And then things get really, really rich, and then it starts blowing smoke, and then it runs like crap. Uh-huh. And then you go, what huh. happened? You know, so yeah. some of these systems allow you to turn off that range to where it's like, gotcha. just leave that alone. It's going to do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's fine. Nothing to see here. Yeah. Move along. Right, right, right. So um, those, uh, uh, those are a few things that we've learned that aren't really printed in the manuals about the, uh, the bolt-on EFI systems. Another thing to watch out for is, um, most of these are a dual bolt pattern on the throttle body itself where it'll fit in place of a quadrajet carburetor or a holly square bore. But mm-hmm. many street factory intake manifolds had a divider. Um, when you take the carburetor off, it's not an open hole. Right. And right. some of them, the throttle blade will hit that divider. Oh, so you right. might have to put a spacer in there or carve that divider out. Uh, which might add height to your throttle body install right. and and maybe interfere with an air cleaner or a hood scoop. Uh-huh. So that's something to look for too. Um, and of course, if it you know if the system does not have a universal pattern, then you will need a, an adapter, and that will add some height unless you want right. to change the intake manifold. But so that's uh, uh, and another one. I guess the last one we'll touch on here is. Uh, when you're doing your power and ground connections for the ECM, they both go straight to the battery. Okay. Mandatory. Is that right? Well, you know what a noisy electrical connection can do to a... I certainly do. <laughs> an electronic device. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> so we've seen many times where people have spliced in power to something in the dash and that connection isn't rock solid or it's picking up noise from the ignition coil or the distributor and next thing you know the ecm is losing its tune and it's all out of whack um so they want a clean source of power and ground makes complete sense yeah i think we've been guilty of it in the early days of saying well how bad can it be you know i got power right here (laughs) and the book you know Step nine, read the instructions. <laughs> I think all this the manuals. This thing came with instructions? <laughs> yeah. I watched a YouTube video, and it said it didn't matter. <laughs> so, ground is ground no matter where it is, man. That's right. Yeah, so the, all the instructions say right to battery, and they're not kidding. Definitely Good. not kidding. 
Uh, so it's funny mentioning YouTube. There's a somebody actually made a patch that that you've seen the ASC certified technician oh. patch. The patch that's a <laughs> YouTube certified mechanic. <laughs> right on. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. So yeah. Um, have you seen anything recently uh, that uh, you felt compelled to maybe uh, offer some advice to of our friends on Facebook or social? I, I did. I did. Uh, let me find it here. Oh, yeah. Here we go. <clears throat> this was, I thought this was a pretty interesting question, one that I haven't really s- seen before. So I think it, uh, I don't think it comes up a lot, but it's a, an interesting question nonetheless. So. Let's hit it. And this was asked by a gentleman named Cole Borman in the Pontiac GTO group. Really? Imagine that. You've been to that? Member of that group. How about it? Yeah. And Cole asks, he says, off the wall question. My doors are shot on my 66 GTO. Skins will not fix them. However, he has a set of nice 66 Buick Skylark doors. Does anyone know if the inner shell is the same between the GTO and the Buick? If so, can I just skin my door, uh, skin my Buick doors, and put them on my GTO? Very interesting question. That is a great question. Uh, what do you think? I would. I mean, obviously the skin is not the same, but the inner door, it being both a bodies, I would say that they would be the same that you could skin them and have it all be copacetic. This is one of those deals where at first glance, I tend to think you're right, but then I know from experience that I'm probably wrong. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> uh, because the definition of, of what an A body is, you know, when, when GM was building those cars, they said, Hey, they let's standardize some of this stuff. So we don't have to make every part unique. Mm-hmm. Most of the stuff is structural that interchanges. So control arms and, you know, uh-huh. frames a swap. When it comes right. to the skins, in the mid-60s, things looked very similar, but I don't know that they are completely interchangeable. Um, I see. Glasses, window trim around the glass generally is. But here's where I'm going to get into a, a sticky situation on that door shell. The 66 GTO door skin, correct me if I'm wrong, is pretty much flat. It's pretty flat, yeah. There's a, a mild curve in it from top to bottom. But uh, but there's no real crease or body line. Correct. And I think that... Uh, yeah. The bottom of it, there's a little bit of a body line. A little step. Yeah. And I th- the, the Buick is going to have a slightly different body line running through the door. Uh-huh. Sure. Okay, so, so that, I'm going to say, is where the difference is going to be. So, for example, you could probably take the Buick door and bolt it in place of the Pontiac door with the Buick skin on it. Uh, And that's the first thing I would do. I would just check to make sure that it fits the hole, and I'm I'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure it does. But where you're going to have to do a little bit of work is if you remove the Buick skin and go to put a Pontiac skin on, that profile of the door shell is going to be different Okay. Where the body line runs through it. Okay. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, because we, we tend to think of the door shell as, you know, the inside of the door, but it does right. obviously meet where the skin attaches. It meets the shell. Yeah, it meets the skin, rather, yeah. 
So how how much different is the question? <laughs> and, yeah. And and you could yeah. very, you know, if, if a competent metal worker, you could remove the skin from the Buick door shell, drop your GTO skin on that shell, and you'll see right away, you know, where that contour line is. And you might be able to tap it down, hammer and dolly it, fold it back a little bit, and then hopefully there's enough to introduce the matching body line in a different part of the shell. I gotcha. Because it's going to kick out from the from the car a little bit, right? You know, to right. create that contour. So, so yeah, it's a it's a little trickier than just sure the door will bolt in place. <laughs> right, right. So, but then uh, then we're dealing with. I mean, what do you think about the 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 door panels, the interior door panels? I think the interior door panels are probably interchange. Um, okay, you might have a situation where the door handles in a different spot. Uh-huh. You know where uh-huh. the latch is yeah. uh, and the window crank, um, but I think they tried to standardize those aspects, uh, latches and cranks and stuff. I think those are probably in the same spot. Is that there's no real sense for them to make a separate um, window regulator mechanism just for one right. particular car. Right. But stranger you, things yeah. have happened. <laughs> you know, uh, it, yeah. It, it is possible. Uh-huh. So uh, without any authority, I can't say, yes, it's going to work. Um, mm-hmm. The way we would approach that in our shop is to do a cost-benefit analysis and say, all right, to remove the skin from the Buick door, it sounds like the Buick door is a nice door. So, right. so we're gonna we're gonna kill it by taking the skin off. Right. Meaning, once you start that project, you're in it. Yeah. So yeah. M- maybe it's a better option to sell that nice Buick door to somebody who needs a nice Buick door, and seek out and find a nice, nice Pontiac 66 door. Sixty-six GTO door. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. That's the way to go too. Yeah, huh. got to be somebody out there looking for a good '66 rib door, or is that what is that what he had? Uh, like Skylark door, Skylark door, Skylark. Yeah. Par- pardon me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those cars are on fire right now. The '66 and seven uh, Buicks, and of course, GTOs are always very popular. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think that's a great question. Um, we found ourselves fixing uh, certain doors, uh, in particular El Camino doors. This was a 71 El Camino, I believe. Uh, the El Camino doesn't change with anything. Uh, some people think oh, really? an El Camino door is a front door from a four-door. Oh, uh, okay. It's, right, 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 right. It's not. <laughs> huh. Oh, boy. El Camino doors are all by themselves. Oh, lovely. So we had a rusty lower corner <clears throat> situation on the inner shell. And ended up spending a bunch of time fixing them because we just could not find another set of, of El Camino doors to drop in. Huh. Uh, and what I will say there is that that might be an option to, you know, to fix your inner shells. Um, but it's got to be done with a uh, weather strip in place uh, because, you know, a lot of times people will cut the curve out where they always rust at the bottom of the door shell. Then they'll make a new piece and put it in and find out that it doesn't seal against the car body. Oh, boy. Right? So sure. If, sure. if this person, uh, uh, Mr. Cole Borman, is capable enough to pull a door skin, what I would say there is pull the door skin and then repair the shell in a manner where you can bolt the shell back to the car and see inside there. 
with the skin removed. You'll be able to see okay. physically if your fitment is right. Sure. If you're remaking that stuff. Um, and then also make your patch to kind of f- to mimic the corner of the door and then cut the door out and see if your patch fits instead of cutting the door apart first and then trying to make a replacement panel. I see. I got you. Yeah. Interesting. Good advice. It's tricky stuff. It's well, that all that metal work is black voodoo magic to me, man. <laughs> I don't know how those guys do it. It's crazy. Well, but, it uh, is. And, you know, to me, I'm pretty confident that I could probably get there, but it's going to take me 10, 10 to a thousand times longer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny you say that. A friend of mine, um, you've met before, my friend Randy, he um, is in the process of building a 67 El Camino in his, in his home shop right now. And, uh, he's doing a lot of the body work himself and he's kind of learning as he's going and he's, he's in no real hurry. And he's just looking at something, figuring out how to get things shaped and patched and fixed. And, you know, he's in the, uh, bodywork stage where he's putting on a high build primer and you know sanding it down right now to see how everything lines up and how everything looks good and it's taken him some time but he's really learning quite a bit and he's doing a great job of it too this he's he's one of those guys that sees a problem and just goes head first and tackles it and does it and doesn't let it intimidate him yeah, which is my big problem. I see a big problem, and I'm like, oh, I, there's, I immediately <laughs> default to, there's no way I can do this. Where he immediately defaults to, well, let's see what it takes to get it done. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it's. He does amazing work too. It's ridiculous. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's really cool. And and uh, what I love is, you know, we're fortunate enough to have talented metal, you know, fabricators in our shop that that do this all day long. You know, this, this is what right. they're, what they do. So they're always in the mental mode of communicating with steel. Uh, whereas yeah. if you don't do it every day, you got to pick up the feel again and remember those yeah. lessons that were learned. So, um, you know, and I kind of, I'm around it in a, in a fringe aspect cause I, I'm through the shop all the time, but sure. it's funny, you know, we had somebody apply for a job and he said he didn't do metal work for a living but he's been around it all his life, you know. And I, and I told him, yeah, well, I've been around airplanes my whole life, but I can't fly one, pal. <laughs> but you I'm know? a pilot, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I, I get what he's saying, but, you know, we need, we need somebody that's in this, you know. <laughs> but, again, when you, when you run a shop and you've got to consider customers, I, I'm smart enough to say I personally am not going to take that project on because – I don't have any room for mar- you know margin of error to do it twice or three right. times or whatever it takes. That's why you let the pros handle it. They'll get through it once yeah. and it'll rock. Sure. You know. So, but it is cool. I've been around but, it my whole life. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying. I've been around you know hospitals. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> yeah, I, I picked it up through osmosis. It's fine. I've been around doctors. I can do this. That's right. I sit in uh, aisle five in the airplane and I got this. <laughs> <laughs> beautiful beautiful so that was a great question uh um mr borman i hope that helps a little bit i found another Groovy. one um and this is a little bit off the mark but uh i thought it was kind of interesting a gentleman named brandon mcgraw is in a model car builder group that uh uh-huh. i find myself in 
And, you know, I don't really have time to build model cars. I, uh, it was fun to do. I enjoyed doing it. Today, I look at these guys. Uh, they're like they're like mini fabricators in many ways. Um, right. They're building custom cars that don't exist anywhere, and it's a great source uh-huh. of inspiration. Sure. You know, for cool stuff. So I, I, I do spend quite a bit of time, and I can appreciate the, the small detail work. Uh, but this gentleman had asked if... Uh, it says, whenever you get a new model car, do you always wash each part before assembling them? And when you were building model cars, did you ever wash the parts? No, never even dawned on me to do anything <laughs> like that. Yeah, well, uh, something that we've learned again uh, from the paint shop is that I, you know, mandatorily wash the parts. And the reason for it is plastic is molded. Uh, in a mold, and then when they bust it out of the mold, they use a mold-release chemical, which is generally uh, a silicone-based. And silicone and paint don't get along. So uh, this is true. why you and I were so frustrated building model cars as a kid, because you'd paint something and it would all fisheye, or, right. or the image in your head of a, of a nice paintbrush painting a nice line on a, on a something... And then all of a sudden, the paint starts squiggling around on the, you know, yeah. on the part. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what the heck's the matter here? You think it's bad paint or you're just a, you know, incompetent. So what's happening is that that silicone's still on the part. And it not only affects huh. paint, but it, it affects the glue so things don't stick together right. Um, and, and I'll go this guy one further and say uh, the, the stuff that we we like to use in our shop is uh, is Dawn dishwashing liquid. It's kind of the the universal standard of, of body sure. shops. It does a very good job of cleaning grease and fingerprints and oils without damaging anything, not a solvent base. Uh, but clean the brushes too, because you buy a, a set of brushes. Well, those brushes uh, are plastic bristles, and guess what they were made from? God dang it! Yeah, yeah, so... Uh, Soak all the, the brushes in Dawn dishwashing detergent, warm water, and rinse them out real good and, and bathe your parts. And next thing you know, your, your model building experience or anything else that you're painting that's plastic-based is going to go much better. Right, right on. Speaking of Dawn, I mean, you gave me the advice to use Dawn to wash down my engine bay uh, when I was cleaning it. And that, that did a hell of a job. Uh, paint stuck nice. It didn't fish eye or yep. or get boogered up anywhere. It still looks great. It's dusty, but it looks great. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, we uh, you know when we wet sand a car, we put a couple drops of that in there, and and uh, uh, oh okay, yeah, just to kind of lift away. Again, yeah, it, it's really tempting in a body shop situation when you see a car that's been block sanded you just want to feel it you just want to rub your hand over yeah. it but you're introducing oil to that thing from your hand and you could have a it's a magnet it is yeah <laughs> and you, you're gonna have a a thumbprint or some kind of spot that doesn't stick so yeah it's it's always good to clean them with with dawn very nice yeah yeah I, it never even entered my mind it's no wonder the models I built looked like crap when I was done with them. <laughs> yeah. That's why I ended up putting firecrackers in them and blowing them all up. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I had a few that were pretty decent. I, I think I just got lucky that I, I was able to let them sit long enough between stages, you know, because I was always, oh, I I'm building this model today and it goes yeah. from cutting the box open to painting it and gluing it and being done. Yeah. Which meant yep. the windshield was always stuck with fingerprints, <laughs> and, you know, and, and smoked over. Yeah. 
And the paint would be, uh, you know, the, they try to paint the chrome trim with silver, and there'd be silver all over the body color. Yeah. And it would be... St- yes. Yeah. Exactly, sir. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, these, these model car guys got some good advice. I mean, super glue on just about everything now, except for uh, they use Elmer's white glue for the windshield glass. So oh, it does it dries clear, right? It does several things. It dries clear mainly, but it also is water-soluble, so you can rinse it off. You know, if you oh, get a fingerprint. Okay. Dang it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These kids are smart. These kids are smart. It's not really necessarily ah, dumb. kids. It's uh, it's adults yeah. that have figured this stuff out, and uh, yeah, yeah. When well, which that's your that's your big time hobby, then sure. I've seen some of these models. I mean, people will they'll fabricate little ignition uh, lines or uh, spark plug wires, rather. And some of the stuff, I mean, you got to give it a double take if if you're looking at a picture of it. Like this looks authentic like the real deal it's it's and amazing it's not. yeah well and there's yeah. a whole new industry there's some uh, online sources now that will 3d print you parts so it, if you want to put a uh, a blower scoop on your you know your uh, straight axle gas or gto model you're building <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't exist you can sketch it up and, and email it and for 10 or 15 bucks you get your scoop back as a part Jeez. you can stick on the car i mean that's something that was obviously super science fiction when you know when yeah. I was a kid, no way. Totally. Yeah. 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 Well, I think those are the uh, the main uh, uh, some of the tech questions that just kind of jumped up at me this recently. Mm-hmm. But I do have a whole other commentary on the state of the social media. And last, I guess last week we published a video, uh, oh. a VATV video of a GTO. Go figure. Um, yeah. Where we did a, a, a disc brake upgrade and some rocket racing uh, booster wheels and some gold line tires. And it was an interesting project because the, the customer loves his Superstock 1 original wheel and redline bias ply tires that he has with the car. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to do a different set of shoes to be able to uh, change the look of the car and go cruise around and change it up a bit. So he elected to go with an 18-inch rocket racing wheel. And to me, um, I, I like the look either way. I, I helped him pick the wheel style and the gold line because I thought that was killer. Uh, that was killer. Yeah, it, I thought it looked good. Um, the only thing that I wasn't super happy with was the ride height of the car. Um, uh, I thought it needed to come down a bit. Uh, but that started to introduce a problem with being able to switch wheels and tires. Because uh, okay. the stock wheels didn't like the lowered uh, stance. They didn't fit the same because they were just as tall, if not taller, than the 18s, believe it or not. Um, huh. And he's like, I don't want to get into alignment issues, you know, because you can change a wheel and tire and not have to realign the car. But uh, if but if you got to change the ride height, then you got to realign yeah. it, you know. Yeah. So he's like, let's see if we can just kind of split the middle and do a wheel and tire that's a little upsized, a little vintage and yet modern. And then allow me to mm-hmm. put my stock ones back on, and I got two cars in one. That was that was kind of the story, plus the uh, disc okay. brake upgrade from OPGI. Uh, and my commentary is: At what point <laughs> did did people get this notion that it's socially acceptable to say whatever you want? Uh, <laughs> through the keyboard in a manner that was probably a hundred percent different than saying something to somebody in person. 
you know. Well, that's that's the whole thing, man. I mean, these keyboard warriors, uh, you know, they hide behind it, and you know, it's it's they're from a certain part, a certain uh, uh, position of anonymity, mm-hmm. and uh, they can just say what they want, close their keyboard, and go on with their life, and not have to deal with any of the the pushback. Right. Right. That. Well, we got we had a whole bunch of people that said, "Hey, I like it. It looks cool." We had people that say, "Hey, it's not my cup of tea," but you know, maybe they they found some value in the uh, the info from the break swap or or you know whatever. Right. And then you have these people that you know, it's like as soon as they see the image of the car, they just puke out the first thing that comes to mind. That car sucks, you know, or, or you ruined it, or it, it <laughs> how belonged. dare you? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like, and I, and I get it. I'm not saying everybody's gonna like the car. But uh-huh. uh, uh, borderline incendiary commentary, <laughs> you know. It's yeah, like, uh, I mean, there's some people that just won't accept anything other than, you know, pure factory stock, and and that's that's a hundred percent cool by me. Yeah, it's just the yeah. the manner of expressing your disdain. Yeah, is, is what I'm calling into question here because mm. when you go through a car show and you see a car that you don't like. You don't like run to the guy's face and say, that's a POS and you need to crush it. You know, <laughs> you might walk by and go, yeah, I don't really dig that. But, and I always try to find something that I like about the car. Right. Because uh, there, there always is. And and most people, I have to say that that comment on our YouTube channel or on our Muscle Car of the Week channel, most people are um, tremendously courteous. Uh, we try to be respectful of their time with our video, and and most people are are pretty nice, uh, but other people on uh, other say you know social outlets are some of these people are reaching new lows of, yeah. of and they start with the car sucks and then they go into you know derogatory things about the person and and it just man yeah, they, yeah some people are just pretty venomous by nature it's it's unfortunate. Yeah, so for, for 2018, that's going to be kind of my mission is to help, uh, you know, the term used to be called netiquette back in the day, uh, okay. where you had a certain etiquette of how you communicated as as society advances. You know, maybe we can uh, all try to be a little bit more, at least courteous. You don't have to mm-hmm. like everything. You can think the car sucks. Exactly, yeah. I'm all for that, but man, you don't have to jump down somebody's throat. The first time you see something that you don't dig, yeah, it's yeah, that's that's a problem, and I I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, there's there's cars out there that I I really are just not my cup of tea, and it's just easier to move along. I mean, wh- what is your venomous comment gonna do? How is that helping anything? It's not helping the guy who built the car. No, he's still gonna have the car. He he's not gonna go change anything because you said something. That's just not how it works. It's just gonna just leads to bad feelings all around. If you don't like it, just you know say to yourself, "Yeah, I don't really dig it." Move along, right? And or if somebody if if somebody asks you point blank, "What do you think about this paint job?" And if you don't want to lie to the guy, but there's a right way to say, "I don't like it," which could be just be saying, "I don't like it," or you could just say, "You know, it's not really my thing. I don't, you know, pink is not my color. I just don't like it," and just. <laughs> move along if, if you like it awesome more power to you yeah and, and that's it yeah not 
pink is not my color and <laughs> F you and your whole family. And, <laughs> right. I mean, it's really that bad a lot of times. So, and again, yeah. I, don't, I don't get the motivation, but. Yeah, I don't either. Can't we all just get along? Can't we all get along? <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of comments, uh, I, I've been I've been getting burned pretty bad uh, in a muscle car of the week video that we did, where the difference was one tiny word that I messed up. Really? Yes. Uh-oh. And it's kind of a fun one. Uh, it was the 2016 uh, Shelby GT350 Mustang that we featured on Muscle Car of the Week. Uh-huh. And I knew that that was a, it's a current car. It's, it's, you know, essentially new. A lot of the guys that like the older muscle cars aren't a big fan of the new ones. Then right. you've got people that like the new cars and not the old, and that's all fun. Uh, yeah. But where I screwed up is I said in the video that the, the GT350 with the flat plane crank uh, engine naturally aspirated made more power than the previous generation supercharged GT500. Okay. Uh, and, and that's where I made a mistake because I said the instead of uh. Oh. I said this car makes more power than the previous GT500. I meant uh-huh. to say this car makes more power than a GT500 that was supercharged. Two generations back was actually less power than this natural car is now. Oh, I see. The, I see. the immediate previous generation... Um, was more power. So okay. I meant to say, this car makes more power than a previous generation GT500 and not the previous generation mm-hmm. GT500. How dare you, sir? Oh, oh, How dare you? And they're letting me know, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to type up that little story and go paste it in. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Uh, you know, but I'm good for it. When I screw stuff up, I, you know, it, it, it's no yeah. fun. And luckily, people have been pretty, uh, uh, pretty polite about that whole thing. So that's good. That is good. Yeah, I mean, it's a good show. It attracts good people. So, well, yeah. The other, um, you know, so the time it takes to say the word "the" is probably about eighteen frames of video. <laughs> so the other, you know, two and a half million frames of that. Mean nothing. Yeah, I, I thought they're they're okay. They were accurate. You know, yeah. look nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah. yeah. There there are people who are on the ready to oh, call yeah. you on your on your stuff. Yep, yep. Which is good. It keeps me honest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Not that you were being dishonest. Just no. Made a a slight a minute error. Right. Well, you know, the other fun one was the commentary. Not only did most, and, and it was a common thread, several people not only said that I was wrong, but the old man was wrong. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. ouch, ouch. So, Ooh, right in the heart. Yes. Right in the heart. So these young kids that know these Mustangs look at me as the old man who got it oh, wrong. brother. Yeah. Which is good. That's rough, man. Sorry about that. It beats being a you know a distant memory. That was, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. true. Good point. So now I can tell them to get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you have homework kids. to do? Yeah. <laughs> oh God, it's past your bedtime, kid. That's right. Too funny. 
Oh, man. Well, I mean, speaking of Muscle Car of the Week, we said earlier that this last one, this top five burnouts, was pretty pretty neat. Yes. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I got to tell you, my favorite, that that six was a 65 Impala oh, that yeah. had the burnout inside the warehouse. Yeah. That was great, man. <laughs> yeah, that was insane. Uh, yeah, th- that that front on shot, you saw the smoke just billowing out of the back of that car, filling up the whole space. Yeah, that was nice. It was in- uh, an intense car. It's a, a, a sixty-five, uh, four twenty-five horse, three ninety-six. So a high compression, four speed. It's got yeah. four eleven gears in it. You know, it's basically yeah. meant to burn rubber. Yeah, uh, totally. And uh, you'll notice the title of that episode was not top five burnouts it's five top burnouts five top burnouts sorry Be- oh there i made it. people please address your letters to kevin Osi. <laughs> <laughs> well the reason for it is i don't know if that's the best of the the whole series or not these are just five that right. i remembered as being really good mm-hmm. uh but that was cool because it, it we put that one right in the middle of the show instead of ending it with that particular burnout. And then people have been saying the same thing that that Impala was the best one. And you know, yeah, uh, that was, oof, that was money. Yeah. I like that a lot, lot. That was money and tires. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. Yeah. That was fun. If you haven't seen that one, check it out. It's episode two thirty five already. Good. Gee, good whiz. night. Yeah. That's cool. I still feel like the, the, the Fred Gibb, uh, ZL one Camaro was just like yesterday. Yeah, that was four years ago, pal. God, no, it wasn't. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Going on five. Oh, June of 13 is when we published that video. That's nuts, man. Yeah. Doing one every week. How do you tell you know, a different muscle car story every week and try mm-hmm. to keep them interesting? Well, I, you know, I guess you screw stuff up and act like an old man. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's all part of the plan, kids. That's right. That's right. The, the show is not slowing down. There's some super cool stuff uh, uh-huh. coming forward. And it's fun. I, nice. I think some people, they'll see like one of these special episodes, like the uh, the, the five the top, the top five top burnouts, five of the top right. burnouts. And mm-hmm. they'll say, oh, you must be out of cars, you know, because you're doing this compilation thing. Uh, uh-huh. And we just, yeah, we say, sure. Okay. And then next week we'll <laughs> drop something else on them. And- <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll drop some knowledge on you, buddy. We'll drop another car on you, and uh, mm-hmm. and it's all back. So it's fun. But we are taking suggestions for other theme type episodes because uh, we've okay. done the the wheel. We've done two wheel episodes now. Yep. We've done stripes and and graphics. Um, somebody suggested hood scoops and dashboards, uh-huh. maybe. You know, so we're just uh-huh. trying to think of some cool. Uh, we're gonna do a piece. Uh, let a little one out of the bag. We're going to do more of a comparison of the Trans Am cars. So your oh nice Boss three hundred two double A Arcuda and uh, right Challenger TA and Z twenty eight kind of stuff. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you done like coolest convertibles or anything like uh, that? We did a a top drop yeah. tops volume one. Yeah, yeah, did one of those. That's right. Uh-huh. All right, all right. Uh, but there's something. there's so many convertibles in that collection that we could uh, we could do many more of those uh, and have good content. Mm. Uh, you know, Hemi cars. Uh, yeah, mm. there, there's a lot of ways to go. So there's some yeah. f- fun ways because we have to assume that not everybody has seen every episode. 
So I see. there are people that saw that Impala burnout for the first time and they didn't see uh-huh. the previous episode of the whole car. And that's why we like to put that episode number in there mm-hmm. so now they can go back and watch it. You can do like top uh, best factory drag cars. That'd be a cool one. Yeah, you know, um, we could maybe start with an AMX. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you could. Yes, you could. I wonder if they'll have one of these I don't when, know. once I give you the answer. Well, I'll have to start looking for one. Yeah, it, it, it's hurting my mind because I, I, I know I've already accepted that I've got this wrong. So uh, why don't you lay the, uh, okay. <laughs> the trivia question right. on me? All right. Uh, I asked you in 69, Hearst and AMC teamed up to build a uh, super stock NHRA uh, car. And I asked you what ET it ran, uh, what the name of it was, and how many were produced. And, bef- and before, Kevin before, said, before you deliver the answer. Yes. yes, sir. You know, now that I've been marinating on this, I'm not, I can't change my answer. I'm, I'm staying uh-huh. with the 100 produced and the 1340. Uh-huh. But I'm thinking there's no way that thing ran 1340s. It had to be a, a low 12 second car. Now that I've marinated on this, mm-hmm. but go ahead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kevin said the ET was 1340. The ET was 11 seconds. There you go. Uh, the name you said was the AMX XS, and it was the Hurst SS AMX SS Superstock. Yeah. yeah, yeah see, yeah. see what he did there. Yeah. I, I mean, the whole answer was in the question. I'm just saying. And yeah, uh, the number produced, you said 100. There were 52 wow. items, 52 examples produced. So, boom. Yep, there you go. Ring, there you ring, go. ring it up. I, I knew it going in that I was going to get that one wrong. But now I'm, I'm curious to learn about the car because it sounds killer. Welcome, welcome to my life. What? <laughs> I, I knew it going in. I was going to get it wrong. What was the uh, so? What was being a Hearst car? It had to have a color package on it. What was it striped or? Shoot, I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know. It's next week's trivia question. My my research <laughs> didn't bring me there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. my apologies, everybody. Again, send your hate letters to uh, V8 Radio. Yeah. <clears throat> Kevin Oshie. Right. Thank you for that. All right. Well. On the uh, on the flip side, your uh, trivia question was in 1970, uh, the Chrysler Corporation and Dodge were selling mod top options on a variety of cars, um, including the Hemi Cuda. And how many Hemi Cuda mod tops were made? Yeah. And you said one. I said one. And I gave you the option to uh, to back out of that. Oh, God damn it. But one is correct. <laughs> Ooh, end of the year strong, my man. Yeah. Strong. Congratulations. And yes, it is the Thank car you much. that you saw at the Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals. Yes, there it is. The green one with the uh, green and yellow floral pattern top and the yes. silver shaker hood scoop. Well, Boom. Well played. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, that was like four to one or four to nothing, because you got like your three parter right. You yeah, know, three that I lost, parter. you know, and then, and then the, the the single part correct. So nice, boom. How about that? Nothing like ending the year on the low note. <laughs> We're all winners, Kev. We all get first place trophies. Yes, yeah, yeah. Thank you. 
<laughs> Your V8 radio participation trophy. Right. Congratulations, kids. Brought to you by the letter F. <laughs> and the color brown. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, if you enjoyed the show, you can uh, you can always subscribe. You'll you'll find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on the Stitcher app, on uh, TuneIn Radio. And, uh, of course, our website at v8radio.com and also our Facebook page, the V8 Radio page. Uh, I met another listener the other day, so now it's oh. we're up to a couple of those guys and not just Holy that cow. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just doubled our listenership. Uh, I think we did. It's pretty cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, right on. Uh, having a conversation with a gentleman who said, yeah, I heard that on the, on the podcast. And I went, wow, right on. Whoa. Yeah, that was... Spooky and flattering. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, we always appreciate feedback and comments on anything. And uh, uh, to all the groups we mentioned uh, on Facebook, we'll invite you to listen to the show as well. And and, uh, uh, I think that's an interesting way to to kind of touch on some of the tech questions. For sure. That's right. And uh, looking forward to charging ahead in 18. Mr. Q-Ball Clark, I appreciate uh, the time. Anytime. Always happy to be here. Uh, Yeah, as am I. So, uh, again, thanks for listening, and until next time, uh, keep the shiny side up.